Thank you, Ken. I pulled this off the pulpit. Anybody else's lives revolve around these colored sticky notes? Just checking. Folks, I'm going to do something a little different uh, this morning. Realize the first Sunday of a new year. And uh, I've, I've never done what I'm about to do in all the years that I've been a pastor and a preacher. And I know you're thinking, well, are you going to sing? No, I've actually done that before. But no, I'm not going to do that this morning. Not long ago, I was asked uh, by somebody in the church, and it's not the first person to ask me. He said, Brother Jim, have you ever preached a sermon series more than once at a church? And I got thinking back about it, and I thought, no, no, I've preached certain sermons more than once out of a sermon series, but not a sermon series. I said, why do you ask? And they asked uh, a few questions about a sermon series that I had preached here several years ago. And so I began to think about it, and the more I thought about it, the more I prayed about it, uh, I felt God leading me to maybe recap and re-preach certain series that I've preached since I've been your pastor. Because I've learned something over the years. If one person asks questions, there's probably 10 or 15 that didn't ask. Now, I've had several folks ask about certain series, 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 I can't even speak, certain series that I preached since I've been your pastor. For instance, uh, the series I preached over the Ten Commandments. How many of y'all remember that? That was one of the first series I preached when I became your pastor. I've had people ask me about the sermon series that I preached over the home, about the home, about marriage, uh, divorce, remarriage, raising kids. Uh, I've had people ask about the series that I preached, I don't know if you remember this one or not, on uh, worldviews. Biblical, having a biblical, being, if you're a Christian, having a biblical worldview. So because of the questions that have been asked, comments made over the last six, almost six and a half years that I've been your pastor, I'm going to, throughout this new year, I will, at certain times, I'll be preaching, recapping series that I have preached before. That many of you have asked, Brother Jim, are you ever going to preach that sermon again? Brother Jim, you know, I got a question about this. Now, let me tell you something. I, over the years, and this church is no exception, I have preached things and I have had people make comments about it. I have had them ask questions, make comments, send texts, phone calls, emails. Most of the time it's been positive. Some of the time it's not positive. Now, I'm not doing this because people were negative about what I preached. And I'm not doing it because people were positive about what I preached. I'm doing it because simply God's Word is God's Word. It does not change. God's truth that was true 3,500 years ago is still true today. And we need to be reminded of God's truths. We need to hear God's truths. So, with that in mind, what I want to do today, kicking off the first Sunday of the new year, I'm going to begin to preach over the Ten Commandments. So take your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 20. We're going to look today at the first three verses. Verses 1, 2, and 3, the first commandment. Exodus 20, beginning verse 1. Does everybody have it? Should... Shouldn't take long to find Exodus. Uh, 
All right, let's pray and I'll get started. Father, I pray today our hearts and minds are open to what you say to us, that we would have a desire to hear from you, not opinions. Father, not, uh, not my own ideas, but what your word says. I pray that you'll give me that. You'll give me the clarity of mind, the strength of voice. You'll give me the focus that I need so that your word is sent out, that your son is exalted, that you are glorified, and your word, we know, does not return void. In Christ's name, amen. Many years ago, the late, great Dr. Adrian Rogers preached a sermon series on the Ten Commandments that he entitled The Perfect Ten for Homes That Win. And I thought that is a great title for the Ten Commandments. But I'm not going to use that title. Instead, I'm going to borrow a title from another pastor that I heard. And, and he, called it, uh, he called it The Ten Steps to Homeland Security. So I want to talk about homeland security this morning, folks, because I believe the greatest way to protect our country and our nation, and, and Brother Ken hit the nail on the head, we're in a bad time, we're in a bad situation in our country. Now, I could give you in length of why we are at this point, but I don't have time for all that. Just know we're at a dire place as a country. And if God does not intervene, then we're done for as a country. Now, that's plain and simple. You say, you, you're trying to scare people. No, I'm just stating the facts. If you don't believe me, look at the news if you can find one that you can trust and see what's happening in the world around us today. Now, folks, I want to tell you again, I think the greatest way to protect our country, our homeland, is protect the homes that are in the land. I believe it was Plato that said, as goes the home, so goes the nation. So today, we're going to look at the Ten Commandments, because the greatest way to protect our homes is to teach our homes the what and the why of the Ten Commandments. Now, folks, I'm not the first guy to say homeland security and the Ten Commandments are tied together. That was James Madison. Actually, it was Moses. But in modern times, James Madison who is known as the father of our American Constitution and the fourth president, our fourth president, he said this, We have staked the whole future of American civilization not upon the power of government, far from it. We've staked the future of our politics upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. Now, what an amazing statement that is. Let me ask you, do the Ten Commandments really carry that much clout? I mean, do they have that much power, that kind of authority? After all, there's only ten of them, and they're pretty short. You can recite all ten of them in less than a minute. They are so simple that the Bible in Exodus 34, 28 in the Hebrew language refers to the Ten Commandments as simply the ten words. And let me say this. They're simple. They're short. Amen? But here's the problem. Most of us don't know them. Now, obviously, you cannot keep a commandment if you don't know it. A Gallup poll was taken several years ago that revealed that even though that around 70 to 75 percent of Americans say they believe the Ten Commandments are still binding, only 15 percent of Americans could name five of the Ten Commandments. You say, well, that's understandable. That's not unrealistic. For a secular society, well, okay, let's think about religious folks for a minute. Newsweek magazine did a similar poll. They asked churchgoers, those who attend church, at least twice a month. So nowadays, I guess they'd be considered regular attenders, right? But they asked those folks that attend church uh, about the Ten Commandments. How many of the Ten Commandments they knew? Do you realize 49% of Protestants and, and 44% of Roman Catholic who profess to be Christians, couldn't name even four of the Ten Commandments. 
Now, folks, that reminds me of a Sunday school teacher who was teaching the Ten Commandments to her kids one time. And she asked the kids, she said, kids, can anybody list the Ten Commandments in any order? One little boy raised his hand and said, I can. She said, okay, go ahead. He said, three, six, one, eight, four, five, nine, two, ten, seven. That's kind of the way we are with it, isn't it? Listen to me, church. It's not enough just to know the Ten Commandments. We must live them and we must teach them to our children if we're going to have homeland security. If the homes are going to be secure. Let me say what you've heard me say many times. And I'm going to go ahead and step away for a minute and say this. Do you realize the main reason why our country is split and in the shape that it's in, why there's so much immorality and so much darkness in the world is simply because we have failed to follow God's Word in our homes. Say, I disagree with that preacher. Well, go read another liberal magazine then because what I'm telling you is true. If men... And I'm going to lay it on your doorstep, guys. If we men would study God's Word, live God's Word, and teach our families to follow us and following God's Word, we wouldn't be in the shape we're in today. The Ten Commandments were given to the family of God so the family of God might share them with their families. Now, in, the, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses restates the Ten Commandments that he got from the Lord on Mount Sinai. And in in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 6, Moses says this, These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. Do you know that the home, parents, the home is to be a law school. Do you understand that? We are to teach our kids these commandments, not only to learn them, but to live them. You say, why? Moses goes on. God says this in Deuteronomy 5, 29. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. God said these commandments bring homeland security by securing the home. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I don't mind saying this. The older I get, my greatest ambition in life is that my children and my future grandchildren, that they love God and obey God and they love each other more than anything or anybody else. Listen to me, parents, grandparents. We have an awesome responsibility. We should, with all of our power, do all that we can to pass the gospel, the baton of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the next generation, to our kids and our grandkids. If we don't, who will? We need to raise our children to learn to love God and obey God and to honor their mother and father. Now, I realize that's not popular today. I'm not preaching what's popular. I'm preaching what's true. We have a responsibility to do that. I will, and I'll tell you why. Because I want it to go well with my children. And my grandchildren, I want their homes to be secure. But they will not be secure if they don't love God and obey God. Look at the society we have around us today. That's a living example of what I'm saying. Now, before we get into the first commandment, you need to understand, these laws were not given to the nation of Israel as rules for a relationship with God. 
Oh no, these laws were given to reflect the fact that they had a relationship with God. You don't keep the Ten Commandments in order to have a relationship with God. You keep God's Word, God's commandments, because you do have a relationship with Him. These commandments, they were not given to religious people. They're guidelines for God's people. They were given for God's family. And let me explain it this way. You know, when our daughters began to grow up, we established certain rules in our home. Probably like you did, you know, do your homework. Uh, don't talk, talk back to your mom. Uh, make your bed. Do your chores. Mary Beth, don't threaten your sisters. Uh, uh, be home at a certain time. You know, we give all these rules to our kids. Now listen to me. I didn't give those rules to my kids so they would be my kids. I gave those rules to my kids because they are my kids. And those rules simply reflected how I wanted them to behave. God gave His rules to His kids. He said, this is how I want you to behave. Now you see why the first commandment is not only the first one, but it's foundational to the other nine. Because, friend, if you don't get this first commandment, you're not going to get any of the other ones either. And the first commandment, listen to me, God is not saying, if you want to have a relationship with me, this is what you need to do. No, no. God is saying, if you have a relationship with me, this is what you will want to do. See, the first commandment forces us to answer the question, who is first place in our lives? Who's number one in our lives? I want you to see the first thing uh, that I want to call your attention to in this passage is God deserves our undivided attention. It was the third day, the third month, about 3,500 years ago, when God uh, took a ragtag bunch of unimpressive people who were in slavery, they were in bondage to the most powerful Military regime, the world had known at that time. And God set them free and brought them out of bondage. And God promised them, He said, I'm going to make you a nation and I'm going to give you a land. But before God did that, He brought them to a place called Mount Sinai. And there at Mount Sinai, God revealed His heart, His mind, and His will to His people. And for the first time in the history of the world, God speaks directly to a nation. Look at verse 1. Then God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, or the house of bondage. Immediately, notice what God does. Before He tells the people what He wants, He tells them who He is, and tells them what He has done. He begins with this great statement, I am the Lord your God. Listen to me. That is a powerful, powerful statement. In that one statement, we find the very bedrock revelation of Scripture. That there is only one Lord. There's only one God. This revelation that there is one indivisible, almighty, all-sovereign, all-knowing God. And it's still, it's unique in all of history. He said, I am the Lord your God. I'm the one and only. He gets even deeper. I'm the Lord your God. Now, surprisingly, if you notice the wording here, he uses the second person singular. And what he's doing is showing that he has a personal relationship with each one of his people. And that personal relationship, folks, is also a saving relationship. Because, again, he goes on to say, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God was reminding the Israelites he was not just their Lord. He was not just their God. He was their Savior. He was their Redeemer. 
Now, I want to clarify something here because there are some folks who have a misunderstanding with the Old Testament and the New Testament. They think the Old Testament's all about the law of God and the New Testament is all about the grace of God. Yet, I'm going to tell you something, friend. This very first commandment is full of grace. What did God do for these Israelites? He redeemed them. He rescued them. He restored them. Not because of anything they did, but simply because of His love, because of His grace. Remember, God didn't give the Ten Commandments until chapter 20. Now, let me make it clear. To understand chapter 20, you have a, need to have a pretty good grasp of chapters 1 through 19 here in the book of Exodus. To understand the story. Because when you understand the story, you see how God, by His grace, saved this nation and brought them out of Egypt. And when you go back and you read the first 19 chapters of the book of Exodus, you're going to find the nation of Israel was trapped. They were in bondage. They were slaves down in Egypt. They couldn't do anything about it. They had no way out and no place to go. God heard their cries. God saw their tears. And He answered their prayers. And you remember the story. God sent plagues and plagues upon Egypt. He these upon Egypt. Then the night came, known as Passover, and God sent His death angel throughout Egypt, killing the firstborn of every family except those who had the blood of the Lamb painted on the doorpost of the house. That night, Israel learned perhaps the greatest lesson that God ever taught her. You know what that lesson was? God said, if you'll trust me, if you'll trust the blood that I shed for your sins, I will save you. Maybe that's a lesson that somebody here this morning needs to hear. You need to learn. God says, trust me. Trust the blood that I shed for you. I'll save you. Then there was a time they were standing on the shoreline of the Red Sea. Water in front. Pharaoh's army behind them. What did God do? He parted the Red Sea. He saved His people. Brought them safely to the other side. And He destroyed the Egyptian army in the process. Then they were wandering. And they got thirsty. They didn't have any water. What did God do? He provided water out of a rock for them to drink. They got hungry, nothing to eat. What did God do? He provided manna. The Bible calls it manna. It's bread from heaven. Now, it's important, folks. Listen to me. Only after God set His people free did He give them His law. Now, understand, don't miss this order. Before God gave the Israelites rules to live by, He first delivered them from slavery. He redeemed them. He established them as His very own people. He didn't give them rules. To establish a relationship with Him. He gave them rules because they had a relationship with Him. Now people think the Old Testament salvation came by keeping the law. And the New Testament salvation comes by grace. Let me tell you the truth of the matter. Salvation always has been, always will be by grace. It's always by grace. You don't keep the law to earn the grace of God, friend. It's the grace of God that enables you to keep the law. Let me put it this way, Christian. It's the grace of God through Jesus Christ that enables us to meet those lofty requirements of the law. By God's grace, through Christ, the law is fulfilled. The law that God was about to give at Mount Sinai was for those who was already redeemed. Rules never establish a relationship with God. I want, I want you to understand that. You don't keep God's rules because you, you want a relationship. You keep them because you have a relationship. God already proven He can meet every need that His family had. And all He asked in return was their exclusive trust, their exclusive worship. God said, in effect, because of who I am, because of what I've done, I want your undivided attention. I am the Lord your God. Look at the second thing. 
God desires our undivided affection. Now, this may come as a shocker to you, but listen close. The Ten Commandments are not about the law of God. They're really about the love of God. I know you're saying, what? Yeah, it's about His love for us and our love for Him. Maybe you're thinking, preacher, how in the world could these commandments have anything to do with the love of God? I believe it's because of all that God has already done in the first 19 chapters of the book of Exodus prior to giving the Ten Commandments. When He said, I'm the Lord your God, God was saying, in effect, it's not enough for you to believe in Me. I need to be, I must be your God. I must be the God that you love and the God that loves you. I want you to look at verse 3. Look at the actual first commandment that's given. Look at verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Notice in this commandment, God speaks to us in the singular. God says you, that's that's individually, shall have no other gods before me personally. This God we're to worship is not a God, friend. He is the God. That's what he's saying. He's the God who wants to have an exclusive love relationship with each of His people. This God who gave us these commandments, folks, is not primarily a God of law. You need to understand this. He's not primarily a God of law. He's primarily a God of love. And He wants us to love Him and share His love with others. Jesus Himself chapter 14, verse 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Now listen to me, if that is true, and it's got to be true, because Jesus said so. Now if that's true, that means you cannot separate the law of God from the love of God. Now just in case you think that I'm imposing my understanding on the Ten Commandments, or just in case you think that I'm, I'm forcing this view from the Ten Commandments, let me call to your attention something that happened in the life of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 22, you remember a rich young ruler come to Jesus, this rich young lawyer. And he come to test Jesus. And he said, tell me, Rabbi, which is the greatest of the commandments? And Jesus give. Now this guy knew this was a trick question. He knew there was ten commandments. He was trying to get Jesus to classify. And Jesus, in a brilliant way, answers this guy's question. Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great commandment. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, did you catch the love that Jesus is talking about? This guy wanted to know about the law. Jesus said, I'll tell you about the law. It's encompassed in love. In other words, Jesus said, you can basically reduce all the Ten Commandments down to two. Love God and love your neighbor. Jesus said the Ten Commandments are not about law, they're about love. We love God by keeping Him first, by not worshiping any other gods, by not misusing His name, by keeping His day holy. We love our parents by honoring them. We love our spouses by being faithful to them. We love our neighbors by respecting them, not lying to them, not stealing and coveting their property. So listen to me. When you keep the first four commandments, you're simply loving God. And when you keep the last six commandments, you're simply loving others. You're doing exactly what Jesus said. The Bible doesn't say God's law. It says God is love. You cannot only only reduce them down to two commandments. You can boil it all down to one word. And it's not law. It's love. Love. 
That's why God says, look back to who I am. He said, I'm the Lord, your God, who desires a personal, loving relationship with you. I'm the God who delivered you out of the bondage of slavery and out of the bondage of slavery of sin. I'm the God who rescued you, who redeemed you, who restored you. God says, nobody loves you like I do, and you shouldn't love anything or anybody more than you love me. Sure glad there's a towel in here. I'm about to drown. Is it hot in here or is it just me? Y'all hot? Okay, I got mixed reviews. We'll leave it just like it is. God desires our undivided affection. He deserves, folks, our undivided attention. But I want you to get this last point clear. God demands our undivided allegiance. There can be no other. First, God tells us who He is. He says, I'm the Lord your God. Then secondly, He tells us what He's done. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And then in verse 3, He tells us what He wants. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. Now, knowing that, the point we come to here, you probably understand why this is indeed the first commandment, and it's the foundational commandment for all the rest. Do you realize the greatest challenge in your life and my life is to keep God first? you agree with that, Christian? That is the greatest challenge that we face. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you the hardest thing about being a pastor. And it's not preaching. Now, at times, it's difficult. I mean, you preach on average of 150-something sermons a year. <clears throat> that's not included funerals, revivals, or anything else you do. But that's not the hard part. It's not the counseling or the ministry, or the administration, even though at times I want to bang my head against a wall somewhere. Not with ministry. Well, yeah, once in a while. Usually with administration stuff. Because I'm not a businessman. I'm not an administrator. I'm a simple preacher. You know what's the hardest thing for me, being a pastor of church? Is to make sure that always, always, my number one priority is that God is first in my life. That's the hardest. And I'm going to tell you, I think that's the hardest to any Christian if they're true about it. That's one of the hardest things we face. Maintaining that close personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Making sure He's first in our lives. And let me tell you something, friend. That will always be the job for God's family. To make sure that nothing comes before God in our priorities, our plans, or our practices. I remember reading somewhere uh, one time, somebody said, you ought to look at the Ten Commandments, not like a list of laws, but like marriage vows. And I thought about that and I thought, you know what, that actually makes a lot of sense. Just as a good marriage is founded on exclusive uh, mutual commitment to one person from one person to another and the trust that comes from that commitment, what God was saying to Israel and basically folks saying to us was, I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to have a relationship with me. And if this relationship's going to work, we've got to lay down some ground rules. And the first ground rule is, I am your God. I'm not one God among many. I'm the God, the one and only. God says, I brought you out of bondage. I made you my family and my people. No other God has a claim on you like I do, so don't have any other gods except me. You realize this command was totally unique in the ancient world. No other nation, no other nation prohibited the worship of other gods except the nation of Israel. Everybody else figured, well, everybody's going to have their own God. It's okay. You know, just as long as you have our God in there with them, that's all right. Folks, listen to me. On this issue here, 
The one true living God, the God of Israel, He's unbending, unyielding, uncompromising. You might say He's totally intolerant on this issue. He said, you will have no other gods before me. I am God and God alone. I want you to listen carefully to the way this worded. Again, look at verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Now that doesn't mean, let me recap, that doesn't mean it's okay to worship other gods as long as you put God first. You know, he's not saying before me. He's not, he's not asking you, now it's okay, you can have other gods. Just make sure I'm at the top of the list. Okay, just make sure I'm at the head of the line. That's not what God's saying. The words before me literally in the Greek translate before my face. So you can translate it like this. God says, you shall have no other gods in my presence. Now that doesn't let you off the hook because God is everywhere. So what God is saying is, you're to worship no other God but me anytime, any place, and for any reason. I'm the only God that you worship. You see, God wants to be your one-stop shop, okay? With God, it's either all or nothing. You may remember the three musketeers. You know, they had a slogan. All for one and one for all. Y'all look at me. Y'all never read The Three Musketeers? I know you had to watch a movie. It's been a movie like eight times or something. One of my favorite books as a kid, Alexander Dumas. Three Musketeers. All for one. One for all. Listen, I want you to know that's exactly what God is saying. There is one God and one God only for all of us. And all of us are to be totally committed to the one and only God. We, and Christian, we we got to get past this idea of saying, well, I don't want to offend anybody else. I don't care who I offend as long as I don't offend God. There's one God. And it's time we live like it. It's time we stand up and state that fact. There's one God. Not many. The rest of them are just mirages. Make-believe. Idols. There's one God. And let me tell you something. We're not to share our allegiance, our affection, or our adoration with any other so-called God. God is a jealous God. Well, He shouldn't be jealous. He's the only one. He's got a right to be jealous. There are some things that just should not be shared. Do you agree with that? I mean, a unicycle is not supposed to be shared. A, a, a confidential piece of information shouldn't be shared. The sexual love between a husband and a wife should not be shared. Well, let me tell you something. God said there's something involving Him shouldn't be shared either. Isaiah 42, 8, He says, I am the Lord. That's my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. God desires, demands, and deserves first place, friend, in your life. He's the one and only. He said, don't you have any other gods before me. I think I've used this illustration before, but the best-selling author, the late author, Stephen Covey, in his book, First Things First, he used to travel the country teaching uh, management principles and teaching the principle of proper priorities. And he used to use an illustration to teach priorities. And what he would do, he would have a, before the classroom, he would have a, a, a great big glass jar or jug that he would sell on the table, clear glass jug. And then we'd have a box full of rocks, rocks like baseball size, softball size. And he would ask the, the group, he said, let me ask you, how many of these rocks do you think will go in this jar? It'd vary in answer, some 10, 12, 14 maybe. So he began to put those rocks, those big rocks into that jar. And each time he'd count, one, two, three. When he got near the top of that jar, he said, okay, is the jar full? People say, oh yeah, the jar is full. He said, no, it's not. 
he would reach out from under the table and he'd pull out a, a bucket that had a bunch of little pebbles, small rocks in it. Then he began to pour those rocks in and shake that jar and those rocks would go around, those pebbles would go around those big rocks till it got almost to the top. He'd say, is it full? By this time, people had caught on. They'd say, oh no, because they knew what was coming next. Next, he would grab a bucket of sand. He'd pour that sand in around those big rocks and around those pebbles. Then he would grab a bucket of water and he'd pour the water in until it was level on the top, till it was really full. Then he would ask the group, he would say, let me ask you, what is the point of this illustration? After a few guesses, he would tell them the point is this. If the big rocks don't go in the jar first, they'll never get in the jar. Now, you follow me on this? I want you to listen to me. The big rocks are the things you believe are most important in your life. And Christian, the biggest rock of all as far as God is concerned is making sure that he gets into your jar. He gets into your life first before anything or anybody else. He says, I'll have first place. Or no place in your life. In case you're wondering, well, what is this, the Ten Commandments, all this have to do with us? Well, listen to me, friend. When you and I were born, we were born in a spiritual Egypt. We were born in a spiritual house of bondage called sin. And God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to rescue, to redeem, and to restore us to His family. And God wants you to put Him first. Why? Because when He sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you, He put you first. God says, if for no other reason, I deserve to be first place. So ask yourself a question. I'm done here. Be honest about it. Who's first? Who's number one in your life? If it's anything or anybody other than, other than God, you need to be right here at this altar this morning. You say, well, I don't know if I agree with that. You know, that's the thing about truth. Even if you disagree with it, it don't mean it's not truth. God says, I'll have first place or I have no place. Decision's yours. Would you bow your heads, please? Just a moment, we'll have a hymn of invitation. The altars are open. If you need to make a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ, if you need to establish that relationship with God where He's first place in your life, this is your opportunity to do so. If you're a Christian, but you, you've been living a life that does not represent God first, you need to change that. Because you're bringing reproach not only on yourself, but greater than all that, you're bringing reproach on Christ. You're shunning God. You're saying there's nothing to this Christianity business. God help you and God forgive you. Father, I pray for those that need to make a decision this morning. They would do so without hesitation, and it will be done for your glory and your honor. In Christ's name, amen. You stand, please.